Sing with me. God is so good. God, no songs. Is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. One more time. God. It is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. You know, sometimes we forgot to we forget, we forget to highlight the goodness of God in a way that takes us out of the picture. This morning I want to share a story of what happens when we take God out of the picture. So this morning I want to focus our attention to a story in the Old Testament. I have yet to preach from the Old Testament since I've been here. I've noticed that. I've, I've always been focusing on the New Testament and Jesus and, and the writings of Paul, but today I want to highlight a story from the Old Testament. But before I do, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart, that the words that you have put in, inside of me to speak may reflect your will for our lives. May it reflect you and may it reflect your dreams and aspirations for all of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, now I'm no longer eight years old, I'm about 12-ish. When I was 12 years old, there was a movie trilogy that came out that we were all excited about because, I mean, think about it. Back then, we didn't have cell phones as we do today. We had bricks. We, as a matter of fact, the car phone was this big old briefcase that you hooked it up and then it was a phone inside but those of you that are old enough to, rem to remember that know what that looks like but there was this, this movie trilogy that came out and it, it was entitled back to the future okay so for those of you that have never seen it or or, or, or don't know what I'm talking about talk to your parents okay parents you're welcome but the, there was one thing that echoed across the entire trilogy no it wasn't the DeLorean and how it changed throughout each movie no it wasn't the change in fashion no it wasn't the change or at least the, the proposed changes of technology that they thought would be I mean one of the coolest things as a kid was watching a hoverboard that never existed in that movie. Again, if you don't know it, ask your parents. 
But there was one constant. And that one constant was Marty is not a chicken. So if, if you happen to watch this movie, you would, or if you have not watched this movie, you have to understand that those that have understand this. Right? You never call Marty McFly a chicken. What are you, chicken? You know, kind of like my eight-year-old obnoxious little neighbor who says, what are you, chicken? When he's like, why aren't you fighting me? So in the movie, whenever Marty was called the chicken... He, it's usually when he got himself into trouble. I'd like to open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 17, verse 1. We're going to read all the way down to verse 11. For those of you that do not have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use your phone. If you don't have a phone, there's a Bible underneath your chairs. If there's not a Bible underneath your chairs, there's the words on the screen. I will be reading from the New King James Version, which is also highlighted on the screen. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. And it says this. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. Lost my place here real quick. They encamped between Sokoth and Azekah in Eph's Damim. And Saul... And the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. From Gath, whose height was six cubit and a span, nine foot six inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat of mail was five thousand shekels of bronze, equivalent to a hundred and twenty five pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, Why have you come out? to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will all be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, 
then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, defy the ar- and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that I may fight. We may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Not discussion time yet. I want this slide to stay here for a minute. Actually, for a while. Did you catch those words? When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What would cause the children of Israel to become afraid? What would cause the king whom the people had chosen? I mean, Saul was a, a, a king that was supposed to be handsome and tall and brave and, and, and filled all the checkbox, checked all the checkbox for what a king should look like and act like from a human's perspective. Because remember, they asked God, we want a king. And God, through Samuel, said, are you sure? Here's what's going to happen. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your husbands and your sons, and you're going to go to war, and you're going to fight his battles. They still said, we want a king. And God said, okay. Your funeral. They got him a king. They got themselves a king. And the story goes on. As a matter of fact, if you have read this chapter carefully, there are two occurrences where they, where Samuel, or whoever the scribe was for this book, they highlight that they were afraid not once, but twice. And it's found in verse 24. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, And all men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now you have to understand, they were playing kind of chicken with each other because the Bible describes them sitting on the mountaintop, the Philistines on one side of the valley and the children and the, and the armies of Israel on the other side. The valley is not big at all. It's not one of these that you have to look Oh yeah, they're over there. No, they were shouting distance from each other. They were like 250 meters-ish at the most. But then when Goliath comes up, the distance is almost like from here to the end of the room. And they're, and they're yelling at each other and say, come fight, come fight. Now here's the detail. We know that in the story, David goes home So David knows the situation that he's in. It wasn't new. But when he arrives back with the food and the sustenance from his his family to his brothers and to the captain of the guard, he sees this Goliath yelling obscenities, defying the armies. Now you have to, if if you paid attention, armies was not singular. It was plural. 
implying that it wasn't just the people he was defying. Why? Because there was a promise that God had made them back in the Old Testament. I'm not going to give you this text yet because you're going to look at them yourselves. But the text said that God was going to fight their battles in the condition that they remained in a covenant relationship with him. And so David, as a shepherd, understands all this and sees all this and gets mad. And he, and he says, I'll fight him. There was a toss-up you know, with his brothers. They didn't appreciate his attitude. They questioned his, his reason and rationale for wanting to fight Goliath. But look at what he says says, when he is asked. What makes you think you're going to be successful? And in verse 36, it says, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Mercy. What? He wasn't being very PC at all. He was not, he was not if, if, you, if you don't know what PC means, he wasn't very politically correct. He was very blunt. He was very upfront of what he thought of him. He said, this guy doesn't, he has no clue who he's messing with. See, the uncircumcised Philistine was a language used to describe somebody who did not have a correct relationship with God based upon that context. Somebody who was not part of God's chosen people. Again, you have to go back to Abraham to understand the process of being part of that fold. But he continues and he says he has defied the armies. He uses plural of the living God. It wasn't because his faith was in God fighting the battles. It was God's armies as well as in conjunction, conjunction with, the Philistine, with, with the Israelite army. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I had the pleasant opportunity to encounter a bear once. We were standing, or we were in our living room in Massachusetts, and I hear something scratching in our deck. And I'm like, it's 10 o'clock at night. What happened? And, and Vivian, she is as afraid of anything and everything <clears throat> that she hears that's going on outside especially at night. It could be the wind rattling the tree. <gasps> what was that? And so all of a sudden, this, and I'm like, nah, you're, that's just the wind. Don't worry about it. I'm brushing it off. And five minutes go by, and it's quiet, and then all of a sudden I hear a <laughs> I'm like, that's not the wind. Now, so you guys get perspective, I stand six foot four on a good day. And so I get up, 
in our, in, our, in our family room, there was a sliding door to the deck. And, but the, the curtains were all pulled in. So I undid the curtains. And as I'm about to get up to undo the curtains, Vivian's like, Please, be careful. I'm like, it's the curtains. And so I, I pull the curtains aside and I flip the switch and there was a bear standing six foot five. Stand up, Steve. Like this. Separated by a glass door. His head was this big. His eyes were hazel and he looked right into mine and he did one of these. And he walked away. All was good. I wouldn't want to encounter our bear, not in the wild. He killed a bear and a lion. He was a pretty confident little guy, wasn't he? Oh. But he, you see, he goes, we know the story. He goes out and fights him. He, ta- he, he goes to a brook, picks up five smooth stones, puts him in his pouch, shepherd's pouch, and walks out, and he puts one in, and as he's walking his way, they try to give him some armor. It was actually the king's armor. You just heard a description of Goliath's armor and the, the mass weight that it had. See, when, when they wrote this, they wanted us to get the picture that this was a man who had strength. This was a man who had experience. This was a man who had the presence that called your undivided attention. They wanted to make sure that you understood that this was a a, a person that knew the intricacies and strategies of warfare. And he had the mental, the physical, and the emotional support of his troops. They surrounded him. And so they, sent, they tried to send David with an armor to see if it would help. But he was too little. And the armor was too big. So he sheds the armor and he goes. And he takes one of those smooth rocks after he picks them up. Just out of curiosity, do you guys know why there were five? Because Goliath had four brothers. four brothers if Goliath was tall how do you think the other four looked like so he took that stone and he started to swing and spin that slingshot and he threw it obviously this was after the dialogue where Goliath is looking at him like what am I a dog that you should come with me with sticks and stones And David says, it is not me. As a matter of fact, let me read you the dialogue. As David said to the Philistines, you come with me with sword, with spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the, 
of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly sh shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into my hands. David knew that it wasn't his stone that was going to kill him. David knew that it wasn't his ability and skill or lack of military training that, that gave him the upper hand. But it was his confidence in whom was going to fight for him. Next slide, please. This is the time for you guys turning to your tables. What subtle differences in armor do you see when you compare Goliath's armor that you just read to Ephesians 6, 18? Go. I would like for you to find the text in the Bible and discuss it amongst yourselves. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. What subtle differences in armor do you see when you compare with Ephesians 6, 11 through 18? 11 through 18. I think that makes it a little easier, huh? We have now, we have a couple of mics that are going to be roaming around. I, I know you guys are, are starting to talk and get into it. I, I, this is the greatest part about this is that you, it's your perspectives on, on what the Word says with a little bit of a background from, this, from me. So can we get a couple of volunteers that were willing to share with their take on the subtle differences in the armor that you see when you compare it with Ephesians uh, 6, 1, 11 through 18, or 14 through 18. Not all at once. Just raise your hand, we'll get, we'll, we'll get to you. Golden Sue. Right now? Okay, awesome. 
Um, so we were discussing, and we heard something you said earlier about uh, talking about uh, how God is fighting our battles. So when Goliath wore uh, his armor, he's wearing it because even though it doesn't say, he's in fear. And that's why he's wearing it. But because God fights our battles and the, the armor that he provides for us, that's why David was fearless. Mm -hmm. And that's one subtle difference that we notice between the armors and the difference between them is one is worn because is the strong man is fearful. But the one that looks the weakest is actually fearless because his trust is in God. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Sue? If I picture David and Goliath, and I see Goliath, and he's covered, and David isn't, and I'm thinking, if this were a movie, we know who wins. But then, God is the shield, and Goliath lifts up his shield, and boom! Okay. And... David is fine because he's with God. He has God's spirit and his, right? Okay. That's subtle. That, that's a subtle difference, yes. That's a very interesting take on that story. Uh, thank you. Uh, anyone else would like to? Jo Josephine. Um, so we, we felt like the differences were on you know, in Samuel, it talks about the physical aspect. Mm. It's all reliance on the, the, the weight of these things that are put to physically protect versus um, Ephesians, it's more on the spiritual aspect, full dependence on God. So prayer, his word, salvation. Um, so it's a hundred and total full dependence on God and that's where the strength and the victory was, you know, is going to be gained through as opposed to relying on all those physical things that Goliath had. Um, we felt that that's where the differences were. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Um, there's, let me share with one subtle difference. I, I picked up on this. Did Goliath have anybody to help him? Who? Shield bearer, right? Goliath needed a shield bearer. When you contrast that with the list of Ephesians, who's supposed to be carrying the shield? Let's look back at it. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking... The shield of, who takes the shield? See the difference? In order for Goliath to be protected, he depended on somebody else. As Christians, God's telling us, you need to carry your own shield. Your own faith, you cannot use the faith of somebody else. Saul, as a king, lost sight of that. Saul lost sight of the ability of having to have faith in God. It's okay. We're all safe. 
Saul lost his ability to see God and to have faith in God, which led him to this question that I want to ask you. What correlation does Paul's command to stand have with Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 4? That question makes sense to you? What correlation does Paul's command to stand? Because the very first words in, in the very first word in, in, in Ephesians 6 14 is what? Stand. How does that correlate to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4? Go. Andrew. All right. Is uh, where, where are my helpers? Do they both? <laughs> They're both out in the hall. It's, t- it's, it's time for them to stand. <laughs> they should be standing at attention. No. Um, all right. We have a couple of volunteers on, on your take on this question. What's the correlation be, uh, that Paul has, or does Paul's command to stand have with Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 4? Okay, so um, I'll just kind of loud. Okay. So basically what I see is that um, they're basically kind of saying the same thing. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it's talking about a physical war. And then in Ephesians, it's talking about like a spiritual war. Because if you look before that, it says that our battle isn't with uh, the physical, but with the spirits and the forces of evil that are going to be coming against us. And in Deuteronomy, it says that when you go into battle, you want to lean on God. And then in Ephesians, it's basically saying the same thing, but it gives us the... The, the tools, the shield, the helmet, the sword, the belt, everything that we need in order to battle and to wage this war against all the spirits and all the evil that's going to be against us in our walk with Christ. Hmm. And at the end of Deuteronomy, it says, um, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And that's, that's that armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Hmm. Okay, that's great exegesis let's put it that way uh, it's a great explanation of the text i love it 
Um, Ashley. I think standing, uh, we were talking about standing in both um, contexts is the choice to stand with God. Mm. Um, one is of the physical and one is of the spiritual, but without, without that action or without that understanding and that choice to stand with God, the fear factor plays a role. And without standing with God, if you, if you and I, our human instincts, if you and I saw an army, our instinct would be to run. Our instinct would be to hide. But with standing with, with Christ and standing firm in Christ in both situations, both spiritually to protect us against the evils of the world and both physically to protect, to protect us physically, we have that opportunity to have him protect us with that armor. But it's all about the relationship, I, I believe. It's like making that choice to stand with him and that trust and that relationship builds that you can have that armor. And the fear factor, it, it doesn't matter what the outcome is when you're standing with Christ because you know that he has your back. You touched on a great point about relationships. Let me ask you this question, not just you, Ashley, everybody. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Can you have a relationship with Christ and not stand? I see yes, I see no. You can choose not to. But the compelling result of a true and a great relationship with God is that you will stand. We saw that, we see that with David, we see that with uh, Daniel. As a matter of fact, one of the key elements of why they feared Goliath was because they did not have a relationship with God as was instructed. Now, I want to make sure I got your name. Jonathan, is that? Joshua, you talked about the Old Testament not being, being a physical warfare and you, compared to the spiritual warfare. But do you know in the greater scheme of things, the Old Testament here is talking about both instances. In both instances, the issue with fear is going to battle. If you do not have that relationship with God, you can go to battle, but you will be afraid. But I also want to pull us back to the context of the story in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, because when you look at that story, what happened? They were surrounded. But where were they surrounded? They were surrounded in Judah's territory, which belonged to the people of Israel. You see... You may have a relationship with God, but when you choose not to stand, the enemy will encircle us and will provide us with attacks and with the idea and perception that the fight we're about to engage in is invincible. That's why David was so upset. Because he knew that he, that he could win. Because he had that relationship with God. But the, the king allowed the forces of evil, the forces of the other uh, kingdoms, to surround him in his own territory. So now I want to make this into more of a personal question. Is, the, is fear keeping you from standing 
up to your enemies, spiritual or non, because they have already settled camp in your territory. Is the reason why you refuse to change some of the things that you have in your life is a result of the fear, because when you look at the enemy, you see a, a, a warrior, battle-tested, strength that you don't have, an armor that you don't have, and you become afraid. What are, again, I want to go back to last week's sermons, and the question that I made was, is there something in your life that you need to change looking at who's settling around you in order for you to make that stand? As the band team comes up, is the enemy surrounding your camp this morning? Has the enemy surrounded you? Are you feeling that the battle is lost, that you got nowhere to go, no, nobody to fight for you? Well, I got good news. God tells us that we can stand. We can face the enemy head on. We can take that position of defense. And in, re in reality, it's not defense, it's attack. Because when it says gird yourself, it means that you put yourself and you stand fast. In basketball, we have a stance. It's called the triple threat. Where you can go one way or the other. You're ready to jump, you're ready to run, you're ready to defend, you're ready to attack. We need to stand. You need to stand. You need to gird yourself with the armor of God and not fear because the battle is the Lord's. And he has already, regardless of the outcome we face here, the outcome is guaranteed. And that's good news. May God bless you. May you stand with God and fight because God is with you and he will take care of the battle.